welcome to Love Games. We're here to shine new light on the games you love and the love in your games. I'm Lucy Morris. And I'm Lauren Clinic. And welcome to episode six. We are now able to put ourselves on Spotify, so that means we're a real podcast. <laughs> and I'm super excited about that. Uh, as we mentioned last episode, often Lucy and I are recording this in a romantic evening in our different countries with candlelight and an alcoholic beverage, but it's the morning on a weekend when we're recording this time, so I have breakfast juice. What about you, Lucy? I have a lukewarm cup of tea, uh, and also the weather's not very nice outside, so I feel like I would prefer a hot cup of tea, but you know, we've got to make do with what we have, so... <laughs> I'm interested in asking our listeners whether they think cold weather or warm weather uh, is more romantic or conducive <laughs> to a romance game playing. I think people would have different opinions because for me, definitely more summer and warmth. Uh, in Australia, it's becoming winter and I'm very, very unimpressed. Oh, I would definitely like to curl up with a romance game when it's raining outside. So I think we're polar opposites again, which is interesting. <laughs> Just like wine and wine opinions. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, so we started running that poll on the Twitter, and last time I checked uh, whether or not our listeners prefer red wine or white wine, it actually seemed pretty even, so <laughs> you're not helping us solve anything. <laughs> that is beautiful. I mean, it takes all types, Lucy, like mm -hmm. wine, weather, or otherwise. I just mm -hmm. wanted to do um, a quick heads up that I've been, I've been sick with a cold, I feel fine and I'm excited to be here, but I might be a little bit extra throaty today, so... Hopefully that doesn't interfere with your oral pleasure too much. Okay, I really regret saying oral pleasure. I'm very sorry. This wasn't supposed to be an awkward episode. We've already ruined it. Oh dear. Well, just jumping into it, just a reminder on format for everybody. Each week we'll talk about a game and how they've handled love, romance or sexuality in that game. We have special episodes with guests from the industry that will be starting soon. And on most episodes, we'll have questions from listeners at the end of the show. But this is a single game focused episode, Lucy, and what's the game of the further week? So today we're going to talk about speed dating for ghosts. And if the title doesn't draw you in already, I mean, I don't know what will, because that's the best game title that I've ever heard. <laughs> it is. It's completely charming. And, and the art is so distinctive. I remember seeing it before it came out. And I was like, finally, finally, some incorporeal dating. Just what I was waiting for. <laughs> incorporeal dating. That's such a good byline. Yeah, so <laughs> this is made by Ben Galenis. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. I probably am. Who runs a indie outfit called Copy Chaser Games now. And they were a previous developer at Bioware. So he was a former editor and writer on things like Mass Effect 3, Dragon Age Inquisition, Knights of the Fallen Empire, and Mass Effect Andromeda. And I, I apologise in advance because usually when we talk about games on this podcast, we want to give a little bit of background about the developer and kind of talk about their previous work and like the cool stuff that they've done. <laughs> so I did a little bit of digging, um, more like I just Googled Ben's name. And it turns out he was a crime reporter in Canada and spent a lot of time um, covering crimes like hostage takings, stage collapses, infanticides, house explosions, and in his words, more homicides than most people have birthdays. So uh, Ben comes from a really interesting background and I think that um, his talent for writing and his his experiences really tie into the experience of speed dating for ghosts. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And we'll go into our takes on the game, but we definitely recommend that people pick up this title. So mm -hmm. it's available on Steam and it's also available on itch or itch.io, however you, you pronounce that. 
So just a reminder for listeners, when you are making your own um, individual purchase choices, if you're buying a game from Steam, generally speaking, the developer is giving about 30% of that purchase price to the Steam platform. And on itch, that percentage is a lot closer to 15%. So, you know, if you want to be a conscious consumer and if you want the developer to get more money, purchasing <laughs> over itch is really the the ethical thing to do. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll, we'll link the game afterwards um, on our Twitter account, but you can pick it up there. Full price, $9.99 US. Yeah, so I definitely try to buy games from itch.io when I can. Because as Lauren said, it's more ethical. The developer can kind of... They can actually even tailor the cut that they get and the cut that Itch gets in the back end of the store. And Itch is doing so many good things for independent developers and trying to promote their craft and making sure that they get paid fairly and just making that whole normalisation of devs getting paid for their work so much easier. So we're both big fans of itch.io. Uh, you should be too, so definitely go check out um, Speed Dating for Ghosts on either platform. But hey, Itch is pretty cool, so check that out too. Absolutely. And if you ever participate in a game jam, Itch makes participating and hosting a game jam a whole lot easier. And it's very quick and free to put your game up on there too. So yeah, definitely two thumbs up for Itch. Cool, so back to Speed Dating for Ghosts. So. Yes. It's, it's a really charming game, and we were going to play something really long-form this week, and life kind of threw both of us curveballs, so we needed to pick up something that was kind of easier to digest in smaller settings, but was also still a really like neat game to look at, and Speed Dating for Ghosts really fit that criteria for us. Uh, it's self-described as a weird little narrative game. Which it is. I I really like that. And the blurb for it is, As a lonely spectre looking for love in the afterlife, you attend a speed dating event and chat up a cemetery's worth of phantoms, wraiths, and poltergeists. At the end of the spooky mixer, choose your favourite. They'll take you out to all the best haunts. Old folks' homes, creepy houses with new owners, maybe solving a murder as your idea of a good time, or robbing a bank. Ghosts are into all sorts of things. <laughs> and I, I've followed this, uh, like you said, Lauren, since before it came out. Um, I, I saw the title first and I was like immediately sold on it. <laughs> but it is, it is a dating game. You date nine ghosts plus one bonus ghost if you're really committed. But I haven't unlocked the bonus ghost, so now I'm really curious about what the bonus ghost is. Do you think the bonus ghost might be Fran, who's the dating mixer organiser? Did you date her? No, I'm just I'm just theorising oh. on who the extra bonus ghost might be. Oh my god. Yeah. If that's the case, then I'm going to need to 100% this game to, yeah. <laughs> to go date her because she's super cute. Yes. Um, you have branching conversations, which is fairly normal for dating narrative games um, and different outcomes depending on what you say to the ghost. And you, I don't know, have you ever been to speed dating, Lauren? Because I have not uh, in real life. I've never been to speed dating that was for actual dating. I've been to quote unquote speed dating that is for, you know, different service providers or it's a, mm. or it's like a, a mentors and mentees like startup culture type of mixer as mm. a format for rapidly meeting and quickly pitching who you are and what you're about, but never mm. for companionship. And for this game, the idea of quote unquote dating is actually a lot more about company than actual romance or at least that's how it felt for me while playing it what about you lucy have you done speed dating (laughs) i have not i have definitely not done speed dating Uh, (laughs) it sounds like a very interesting concept but i haven't actually seen 
like I don't know whether it's a US paradigm, mm. but I haven't seen a lot of that in New Zealand at least. Then again, I'm not really looking for it, so mm. <laughs> who knows? I might be completely might be completely wrong. But <laughs> yeah, speed dating for ghosts, you have like we said, the nine ghosts, and you go through these rounds of speed dating. So mm. you will quickly talk to them. That conversation will only take a couple of minutes, and then mm-hmm. a bell rings, and then the ghosts swap around, and the next ghost sits down, and you start the next conversation. Yes, um, uh, and before before you're in part of that system, you can go into three different mysterious rooms, and mm-hmm. each mysterious room has three ghosts. So that's how you get your nine different options. But it was really interesting to have a visual novel dating game that structured itself that you got a small conversation opportunity and then you would talk to others and then they would come back around again, like as a structure. Mm -hmm. Because often when you're in a visual novel, when you're pursuing one route, it just kind of sounds like a monologue or just one conversation with one person. But instead it's like these bite-sized little interactions where you're mutually seeing if you like each other and if you get along, which is really, really interesting. Yeah, and I think that plays really well to the concept that Ben was going for because Mm. you get kind of little vignettes or insights into the lives of all of these ghosts within this room. So there's three in each room. And what I found quite interesting, and I think the sentiment was shared by um, Sin Vega, who wrote the Rock, Paper, Shotgun article, was that you want to go on all three dates and that's really something that happens in Mm. dating sims or dating (laughs) games. Like, usually you'll be able to look at the cast and, like, even before talking to them, immediately pick out, like, I'm going to go for that person because I know their personality, they're stereotypical, Mm. like, they're my type, I'm going to go for them. But... With speed dating for ghosts, I, I wanted to date all of the ghosts. Like, yes. they were they were all so interesting, and mm. they were non-stereotypical. They had really interesting backstories, and they all had really intriguing hooks. Yeah. Yes, I completely agree. And having it be a speed dating type of structure meant that it made the exposition and the backstory part of it feel really natural. Because mm-hmm. when you are speed dating, you do have to go well, this is me and this is my life so far, blah, blah, blah. Whereas in a game, you know, if you're just playing a different game where, say, it's a detective story or something, getting the actual backstory on someone or getting a really holistic view on who they are and what they value can be really awkward and they kind of just jam it in. But having it be the the dating the dating sort of speed dating structure made the, the hamminess part of the fun and also made it natural that they were kind of self-describing a lot and it didn't feel didn't feel unnatural at all. It was really charming. Yeah, it felt kind of normal to be dating ghosts, which was pretty interesting. It was mm. an interesting experience to play through. Yes. And it, yeah, it was just really relatable. Like mm. I wasn't expecting it to be so relatable when I when I went into it, but it was very human. Yes. I don't know if that's the right word to describe a ghost game, but it was very human and it felt like these were real stories. And despite, like, obviously there's some uh, black humor in it, but <laughs> it still felt very um, insightful and relatable. Yeah. All of the characters, as you were saying, go beyond stereotypes. So, for example, there's a, a jock football shark ghost. I loved him. <laughs> Wait, which one? Is that Leon? I, I'm not sure. He's the one that has the football stuck in his head. Maybe oh, it was Riley. <laughs> Riley. Yeah, so yeah, I, Riley. Just, I just played Riley's route, and mm. Riley is such a sweetheart. 
Riley seems like a big sweetheart and it was interesting (laughs) because when I was playing with my partner at that point he was really bored that I had been really nice and been really friendly in all of my dialogue selections. <laughs> so he's like, oh, let's let's kind of be a bit rude for this one uh, because the dialogue choices usually give you three options and sometimes one of them is not, not, a, not a really outwardly rude or aggressive but just kind of a, a disagree or, or a slightly more cold option. And with mm-hmm. Riley, when you choose that and you criticize, like saying, look, I'm so not into football, so you're just a jock, blah, blah, blah. He's actually really sweet about it in terms of mm-hmm. saying, well, you know, like you don't need to call me out. Like, yeah, I was a little bit too focused on sport in my life, but in my afterlife, I still have fun with sports. Like you don't need to be mean about it and stuff. And I felt so oh, bad honey. for being mean. Yeah. And he's like, well, I was going to, I was going to ask if you wanted to come to a game, but it really seems like we're not getting along. So, hey, better luck next time. Like he wasn't even rude that I was being a total asshole. <laughs> yeah. Was like, oh, Riley. So- the ghosts all have different perspectives on, like, their past lives and also mm. the fact that they're now dead. Yes. And I was quite I was quite apprehensive about this game, I'm going to be honest, because mm. I do have a little bit of death phobia. Mm, mm. But this game had really good, frank discussions about um, viewing the value of the life that you lived and mm. also, um, like, kind of being pragmatic about heading towards an afterlife. And yes. all that sort of stuff. So I thought that it was really interesting to see these different perspectives um, from these ghosts. So, for example, Riley, like Lauren was talking about, said, you know, these were my best years. I tried really hard at football. And Riley dies of um, an intracranial hematoma because he was very good at football but took too many blows to the head, etc. And uh, that ended up costing him his life. And he's very positive about dying he's like well you know it happened and I'm gonna make the best of this and like there's still so much ahead of me I'm gonna make the best of being dead and I made the best of being alive and just a very positive character and it's one way to take it but you get other ghosts like there's a very nervous ghost in the room of liars (laughs) and I've it's funny because um whenever you pick one of these rooms it gives you a really interesting description of the room that's usually like really really run down and like it's a hotel boardroom and like mm. there used to be a 60th birthday party in here like 20 minutes ago and now you're <laughs> dating in here um but there was a really nervous ghost in there that was um still struggling to come to terms with the fact that they had died and they had just kind of fallen through their coffin when they realized they were dead and just stayed there for a long time and they were still trying to figure things out and mm. the wide spectrum of the way these ghosts are dealing with death I think is very um applicable to how people will think about it in real life so yeah absolutely so lucy i do just need to make a direct request from you at this stage where Mm. i do really want to talk about the appearance of the game and i do really want to talk about the ui so you know i do want lucy's ui (laughs) corner just briefly (laughs) oh my gosh i wish someone would put me on tv and actually give me a ui corner that would be so much fun but probably too angry for for daytime cable yeah so it's it's unusual in the fact, uh, Lauren mentioned to me before we started recording, that it was interesting. It doesn't use the normal affordances that you would see from dating games, which are just a dialog box and like a next button. Um, I found that it approached things much more like a comic book would. So often when you're talking to the ghosts, instead of a dialog box, it'll come up in a speech bubble. And the design of the speech bubble will reflect an aspect of that character's personality. So I think when you're talking to a ghost called Spooky Pete, which is one of Lauren's favourites, and I think she'll talk about Spooky Pete in a little bit, (laughs) 
Um, he's a very, very, very old ghost, and he died during the, the bubonic plague, I think. And he's super spooky, he's really old, uh, the kind of onomatopoeia used to describe him as that dust is flying everywhere when he talks and he's really <laughs> heaving, but his speech bubbles like reflect that because they're kind of, I feel like they're kind of like jagged edged and it, it kind of reflects the way that the characters are also acting and it also gives it a very um, ethereal aspect of it as well because it, it feels like the, the words that they're speaking are spooky because the bubble's not round. I guess. <laughs> mm, mm. And I feel like the the speech bubbles are coming in at different points as well. Mm-hmm. And they are also delivered with characters' voices, quote unquote voices being the meh, 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 meh noise that happens while they're, while they're talking as individual for every ghost as well. So it just feels like a lot of characterization is coming through with the aesthetic choices that they're making as well as the sound design. I was really impressed. Yeah, so the characters' voices, um, if I remember correctly, are all done through a Pico 8 sound generator. Pico 8 is a fantasy console made by Lexalopal. Uh, this is all from memory, so if I'm wrong, <laughs> please don't please don't crucify me. But yeah, these were all just generated sounds that were picked up to suit the characters, and I think it was really cool to use a kind of unconventional way of generating sound to personify mm. these ghosts. Definitely. And I think Pico 8 is actually quite an accessible little thing to pick up and, and doodle mm-hmm. around with in terms of games and sound. And mm-hmm. as much as this is a basically a writer that's gone from AAA to making smaller games, it looks like they've made a lot of very clever and efficient choices with mm-hmm. what they're investing uh, heavy resources into in terms of art, very minimal on animation, the music and the sound is sparing but still efficient and uh, kind of like affordably produced as well so I was really impressed in what they chose to invest a lot in and what they what they were efficient on because for me really the narrative and the writing and the characterization is definitely what shines in this game um, first and foremost but everything else that they chose I was basically really really happy with. Yeah it's I think important in indie games sometimes to do what you do well and like focus on one or two things that you really mm. want to shine. Um, when you see a lot of small outfits developing things like visual novels, like everybody will try to hit all of the bases like super hard and super well. So you've got like nice character art and super nice music and nice detailed backgrounds and it's expensive to produce things that are that like high fidelity Mm. but in speed dating for ghosts like there are no backgrounds it's a solid color um the focus is on the really kooky ghost portraits and the dialogue options and the speech bubbles and actually having just those things to focus on and to do really well worked super well for how this game is written and the message it's trying to give you as well. I think, it, yeah, it was a really smart choice. Yes. I'd really love to see Ben's diagram of how all of the narrative was planned out. Because, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, because when I was being really friendly, the conversation sounded very natural. But also when I was being a bit rude and a bit short with, with ghosts, it also sounded very natural. And so it really did feel like Ben has fully mapped out responses and conversations based on every single response, which is very luxurious levels of writing. So Mm. I'm very curious as to how much of that was just my impression or how much it was actually very much a very much branching dialogue kind of approach. Do we know what engine that they built it in? It's in Unity. 
Oh, cool. Yeah. So, um, again, this is off the top of my head. Mm. Since it's the morning, my brain still isn't functioning at full capacity, so I might be talking out of my butt. But in the <laughs> I credits, would be it also... <laughs> Okay, I'm not actually going to try it on the podcast. That's, just, that's too not safe for work. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, in the credits for Speed Dating for Ghosts, um, so it's Maiden Unity, which is, a, if you're not aware, a free game engine. Um, and you can get a lot of plugins for this engine that do specific things. So you could get, for instance, an adventure game plugin that has all the affordances of, say, leveling up and menus and all that sort of mm. stuff. For Speed Dating for Ghosts, uh, Ben used Fungus, which is mm. a plugin that is for specifically for dialogue and it has a visual scripting function for dialogue as well. Made by a really cool person, it's free, um, it's very easy to use. And if you are getting into Unity and you want to make narrative games, using visual scripting makes things a lot easier for you. So when I say visual scripting, (laughs) like throwing around all this jargon, uh, visual scripting, instead of simply opening, say, an editor and just coding, it will give you little flowcharts that you can visually connect to each other and you can construct your dialogue that way. So I feel like visual scripting is sometimes a good intermediary step between uh, you wanting to make games and you wanting to learn how to code games, because once you understand the functionality through visual scripting, then coding, I think, comes a lot easier. Absolutely. That's my experience. Will not be the same for everybody, but yeah. Your mileage may vary. I mean, when we're talking about the family tree of engines for narrative games, a lot of writers or narrative heavy folks start with things like Twine, which, mm-hmm. you know, is very, very code light. Then if you want to make a visual novel and it's a very visually driven narrative game, a lot of people will try RenPy, which is using Python, which is a different scripting language. And it takes a bit of time and investment to learn how that language works. But for a lot of game functionality, for scalability, for different mechanics to to work in a game, a lot of people would recommend uh, using Unity for game development. It's very versatile and that's the engine that we're talking about for this game. But as Lucy says, you know, Unity uses C Sharp as a programming language. Plugins like Fungus are really there to help, uh, help people approach things like Unity or C Sharp programming in a different way as well, just to, to bridge the gaps or make an engine like Unity more uh, more accessible for someone who's quote-unquote a creative. So mm-hmm. if you're listening to this and you're interested in trying to dip your toes into, into game development, Zoe Quinn, who's a game developer, has a really interesting website called The Sorting Hat. So if you look up Zoe Quinn Sorting Hat, you can answer a bunch of simple questions and it will recommend a basic engine to start with and to start experimenting with. And so that's a really good way to try and pick something to start with because game development can be so huge and overwhelming. You just don't know Hmm. where to start. So there's a bit of homework for everyone. It is really difficult because it's hard to answer the question, what engine should I use? Because it depends so much contextually on what you're trying to create. Mm. So RemPy is really great if you don't want to do anything super fancy with mechanics and you want to follow like a very, very strict set of uh, paradigms for visual novel games. So if you want a dialogue box and you want like branching narrative and you want variables and stuff, like that's all really easy. But if you want to start doing things like mini games and like kind of more complex mechanics it can be quite hard to kind of shunt that into a, a structure that exists already just for these things. That would require quite advanced coding knowledge. With things like Unity, like a, the barrier to entry is a little bit higher, but the flexibility 
there is much greater if you have things like plugins and you have you know c sharp knowledge it's yeah it, it depends what you want to make i guess so yeah definitely check out sorting hat but keep in mind there's no one right engine to use and there's not really one i, I wouldn't say there isn't one easiest engine to use either so like mm-hmm. it really depends on what you want to do and the results you want to get Absolutely. And as soon as you share an inter- uh, an internet opinion about an engine, someone's going to jump in with the different opinion. And so, you know, take what we say with a grain of salt, but all we can recommend is that you do get out there and you experiment. And mm. it's easier now than ever to, to dip your toes in and to try a few different things. And a game jam is a great excuse to try picking up a different tool. So whenever I participate in a game jam, I really like to try and experiment with a new engine. So you know, learning how to build something using Inform 7 or the next game jam that I participate in, maybe I'll try Pico 8 and things like that. And it's a really good constrained way to try something new. Yeah, and I get super passionate about people being engine elitists. I think I had a tweet that went viral like a year or so ago where I got really angry about people saying one engine is better than the other. Um, It doesn't matter what you make your game in. All games should be judged equally. It doesn't matter if it's Unreal or Unity or Rempi or Game Maker. Like, it doesn't matter. As long as, like, <laughs> the end result is good, mm. it shouldn't matter what you make it in. And you shouldn't worry about what you make it in either. It should be the end result that's the important thing. And they, there have been successful games on every platform. So don't let anything like that hold you up. Every engine is valid. Every game is as valid as each other. So... I'm going to get off my high horse now and we're going to get back to speed dating for ghosts. (laughs) So while Lucy steps down from that, I would like to talk about some of the, some of the limitations or the things that maybe we found a bit personally challenging about this game. Mm -hmm. So to jump in for me, this game, you know, Lucy and I both unanimously really, really like this game. Mm -hmm. For me, like Lucy, I was a little bit apprehensive to come into it because I don't really like sad media very much. Mm. I don't like a lot of sad movies or sad TV shows or I'm very apprehensive about games that have sad roots. And I was very worried that this one would be very sad. I did play roots that did make me tear up a little bit, but mostly because they were really, really beautiful or I loved the emotions that the ghost was expressing at the time. I didn't uh, experience any endings that felt really sad. I dated three different ghosts and none of them had endings that were truly just sad. But that said, you know, we've talked a little bit that some of these ghosts had bad deaths, basically. And Mm. I really would have preferred that this game had some content warnings about some of the things that would be alluded to. I didn't read through anything that was a distressing level of detail about um, self-harm or murder and things like that. But you did really go on a bit of an emotional experience with some of these ghosts about how they died. And I would have preferred some content warnings, which I don't think I came across while playing. Yeah, so I was a little bit worried when I was playing the game because I only played, I think, three or four routes. But I was worried I was going to come across something to do with, say, uh, self-harm or suicide, Mm. which does trigger me a little bit. Mm. Um, And I'm not sure if there are any routes like that that I haven't played. But that was a little bit of a worry and it is kind of hard because I guess it spoils um, the content a little bit and you want it to be a bit of a mystery because it is speed dating. It is a very difficult design decision to make but I think um, to err on the side of caution and just uh, when you load up the game have a little screen and it's like hey maybe you know Mm. this deals with this kind of content if you're not comfortable maybe you Mm. shouldn't play this or maybe you should avoid these specific um, ghosts and maybe giving the player the option to avoid 
specific ghosts in the speed dating mm. um, dependent on what they deal with in their dialogue would be good. I don't know. Because, yeah. yeah, like, a lot of the things they deal with could be potentially upsetting. And, like, of course, if you're going to talk about death, things are going to be upsetting. Like, not a lot of people are like, yay, dead people. <laughs> um, but it does deal with very real issues. Like, Stephanie the ghost, for instance, um, suffered from brain cancer. And Vera had to leave her kid behind. And that mm. was really sad. And... Yeah, like, it's got a really wide spectrum of things that could be um, uncomfortable, and while I understand that death is not supposed to be comfortable, when we're consuming media for entertainment, I think it's important to know kind of what we're heading into, right? Yes. We've talked a little bit about content warnings and how developers can approach those. So when we were talking about Ducky Ducky Literature Club, for example, that game has content warnings right up front, and we talked about how the developer could have done better with those content warnings, but it was very necessary that they were present. Mm. I would say with this game, it's not as urgent that the content warnings are fully disclosed up front because there is not the, the content isn't designed to alarm or shock people. But I would prefer if more games considered opt-in content warnings or saying in the start menu, press here if you want details as well for mm. content warnings. And so it could say, you know, in this route, this route deals with a house fire, this route deals with this and that. So you can mm. choose whether or not you want to spoil, quote unquote, spoil yourself if you do have a need to avoid certain triggers as well. So that's just mm. a, that's just a, an accessibility point that I would like to encourage more developers to consider. Good stuff. So Lucy, what's something else that you found to be a limitation while playing? Um, I am always very passionate, as we've discussed, about user interface, and <laughs> keys have certain affordances. So, for example, if you press delete key, you'd assume that you're going to delete something, etc. <laughs> so, when I pressed escape, because I was trying to hurriedly finish Steph's route before I talked to Lauren this morning, <laughs> it actually quits out of the route straight to the start screen. <laughs> No. And the problem with that is that you then have to repeat the entire, like, speed dating to get back to where you were. Oh, no. And I think that if you are putting an escape button into your game, it should just bring up a confirmation prompt that you want to quit. Mm. Or a menu, uh, like a sub-menu overlay of settings that allows you to go back to the gameplay from there. Because I was totally not expecting that. And then I was like, no, now I've got to do the podcast <laughs> and I don't know what happens to her. Um... Yeah, it's like, it's a minor gripe about a super cool game, but yeah, like, I was like, no, no, I'm back to square one. Mm. Um, Also, the fact that you need to repeat the entire thing to get new dates, I think maybe what I would have done differently, and it's easy to say this is looking (laughs) on the other side of the the looking glass, Uh, obviously it's a very cool game, but Mm. perhaps to encourage people to play all of the routes, um, I would make them go through the full experience the first time. And then when they come back to it the second time, maybe like have the option to skip the ski speed dating and then just select the ghost that you want to go on the date with. Or yeah, it's difficult. Cause I, I probably understand why it was done because you have to go through like those different conversation parts mm. in the first and second round of speed dating. But giving people the option to skip dialogue is a pretty good thing. People who want the payoff will skip it. The people who mm. want the long the long burn will not skip it. So, yeah. It's a low overhead thing that's a quality of life improvement. It's not like a super big issue because the game itself is pretty short. But Yes. Yeah. I would say you could probably play through 
all nine routes of the game within two to two and a half hours, I would say. You could probably mm. go and date all nine ghosts. But even if if you experience each of the rooms once, potentially if you could go to Fran, you know, the dating administrator, <laughs> and say that you just want a one-on-one date with this person that you missed last time, uh, yeah. you know, and you treat it that way, then you can still have that really good content of having that quote-unquote speed date experience and then go on the date with that individual. Because yeah. I was the same, like, I, after being so mean to Riley, I didn't want to go back into his mm. room at all, <laughs> like, Riley. you know, to, to do it again. Um, so, yeah, I think a choice to isolate the ghosts to make the replayability even easier could be really, really good. But, of course, we understand and respect, you know, the, the designer and the developer's decisions on that. But it is a bit of a limitation. Mm. Something else for me that I think is and is not a limitation is... When people talk about uh, a dating game, a lot of people will have expectations of um, maybe not necessarily a sexy experience, but maybe a romantic experience. And we did Mm -hmm. talk about this game feeling a lot more like companionship. Mm. It's a lot more about getting to know the ghost. And, you know, in the universe, it seems like being corporeal and having physical contact with the ghost is maybe very, very hard to do. Like, as a ghost, you have to concentrate to be able to interact physically with anything if you want mm. to spook someone or something like that. But uh, but I think some players were probably wanting a more romantic experience. I think it's okay that this is companionship. I also think it's good to have more dating games that are actually chased and don't have any sexual context or sexual content as well. And there's, you know, there's a lot of romantic or sexy games out there. This just isn't one of them. And I'm not sure if uh, if there are too many players that bought the game and were disappointed that they couldn't smooch the ghost. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I completely agree with that. It was refreshing to see, like, not only was it chased, but it was also contextualized because mm. the overarching theme of the ghosts was that most of them were quite lonely mm. and some of them had things to work through that they didn't want to work through alone. And... It was mostly companionship and friendship, but there were reasons for it. It wasn't just like, this is just pandering or something. It was good. So Lucy, just to just to wrap up my thoughts on this game, because we do have to go soon. One thing about this game that I think is very special is that it does have that focus on companionship, but also I was able to exclusively quote unquote date old people and old characters. So I dated Vera and I think her name is Hattie. So they're two older women ghosts that died in very, very different ways. But they were both really heartfelt. They were really authentic, awesome characters. And then I also dated Spooky Pete, who you mentioned before. (laughs) Good old Spooky Pete, who maybe was a bubonic plague doctor, but there's something almost a little bit of an unreliable character about him and you're not sure how much you can believe him. And he claims that he's been written about in all the ghost hunter books and things and dating him. He tries to mentor you and make you a haunting protege of his, but he's actually not doing so well on his haunt and you help him. And it's this really strange, heartfelt, weirdly, you know, strained belief kind of an experience. But it was the first time I played a dating game where I could date three older characters did you know that Spooky Pete turns up in other people's dates as well? What? Seriously? <laughs> so in the same room, you have the shark dude, Leon, who is really obsessed with robbing banks. So if you go on Leon's date, Spooky Pete actually turns up to help you with the heist. So you, Leon, and Spooky Pete like all go and rob a bank. Oh my god. <laughs> and 
he's just kind of in it for the laughs and he just wants to like cause havoc and mess shit up and just have a bit of fun and it was nice to have Spooky Pete along. I think he's probably one of my favourite characters. I didn't go on his date, but the fact that he kind of turns up and he just wants to cause chaos, like, I very much appreciate that. <laughs> Two thumbs up for Spooky Pete. So, Lucy, I think that's all that we have time for today. Thank you so much for chatting about Dating Ghosts with me. This game is uh, two thumbs up from us. We definitely recommend that people check it out. So, yeah, thank you so much to Ben for making this super awesome game with his collaborators. And I think uh, Ben also gave us some keys. Is that correct? Yes. So Ben gave us keys because I said, hey, your game looks cool. <laughs> can you can you give us some keys so we can talk about it on the podcast? And he was very, very forthcoming with these. And uh, thank you for giving us the chance to play this amazing game. I am definitely going to go back after we turn off this recording and find out what happens to Steph because I am really curious now. And yeah, we just had a really good time. Yeah, and if our listeners go and play this game, please tell us about the dates that you had and who your favourites are, and we'll see mm-hmm. you in a couple of weeks. <sighs> awesome. Well, let's close the podcast before Lauren actually dies. <laughs> <laughs> and before I become a ghost myself. Oh, no. Yeah, so have a good week or two weeks, Absolutely. <laughs> everybody. And we will catch you very soon with another episode of Love Games. Thanks, Lucy. Bye, Beans. Bye, Beans.